0: You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. Coming off the Super Bowl want to talk about a lot of stuff today and that was a very strange game for sure break that down as well as talk about some of the postseason awards and the new hall of fame class you know a lot of good news but uh first i think we need to lead off with maybe some somber news here i mean obviously by now uh you all know that uh, marty schottenheimer is passed and uh, i want to bring in my partner now alex kaftoff and uh alex i know you had some things you wanted to share about marty yeah
1: i just i i look at what he has done for the NFL for the game of football and for the four NFL franchises where he was the head coach he he coached the Cleveland Browns in, in the late 1980s he led them to the playoffs i mean he had some really good years with the Browns back in the day in 86, 87, and 88. You know him pretty well because he coached the Kansas City Chiefs for about a decade. I think it was about 10 years. And then he took over the Washington Redskins team for a year. 8-8 eight and eight record. He got fired and the The San Diego Chargers at that time, they hired him, and he was their coach for five years. Every time that he's taken the situation, he came in, he took a struggling franchise, in my opinion, or at least if we're talking about the Cleveland Browns and the Kansas City Chiefs at that time, and he turned them into a winner. And I admire that about Marty Schottenheimer. Yeah, he never won the big game. He never won the Super Bowl, but he's been in plenty of those – playoff games he's had good teams with san diego chargers with drew Brees and lt and then philip rivers and we all know that that with the kansas city chiefs he had joe montana there for a couple of years it was just it was fun to watch marty ball and marty ball was simple he liked to run the football and play good defense and it worked at that time in the NFL, it worked. I'm not sure. I think Marty would adapt to the times nowadays, but it would be fun to, to still see him on the sideline to see how he would adjust to the, the modern-day NFL. But he was a really smart coach who knew how to just get the most out of the talent that he had there. I think we should just remember him. Rest in peace. And you, you did a lot for the NFL and the game of football in general.
0: Well, I think just in essence, I mean, he was just, he was a winner. I mean, really just, uh, you know, as a, as a player in the old AFL with the Buffalo Bills, as a coach, as you mentioned, you know, at, at every stop, you know, with the Browns, he got to the AFC championship game a couple of times and, you know, just but for John Elway and the Denver Broncos, you know, he may have played in a couple of Super Bowls as far as the stint with the Chiefs. I mean, always had great defenses. You know, Derek Thomas and Neil Smith, you know, when they ran the ball with Christian Okoye. And he really never had, you know, kind of a top-of-the-line quarterback, you know, while he was there. You know, he had Joe Montana his last two years in the NFL. And again, they got to the AFC championship game against Buffalo. But that was the Jim Kelly the K-gun or whatever you wanted to call it, but it was, you know, it was fun times, but they got to that game and they, and they lost, but as far as Marty was concerned, all the guys that coached under him, you know, uh, Herm Edwards, Bill Cower, Bruce Arians, I think his first job in the NFL was with Marty. The list goes on. Gunther Cunningham, I mean, there's you know, a bunch of guys. You can say what you want. He never won the big game, but he got to the he got there, got those teams and those programs back. I mean the the Chiefs were a lost franchise. Uh, at the time, they bring in Carl Peterson, who brings in Marty Schottenheimer and, and Marty just had you know just an amazing staff. They started drafting really good players, mostly on the defensive side of the ball. and they, they, they were good and, and Marty was just just a really great dude when, you, when it comes right down to it, winning coach. I don't know, you know, Hall of Fame if that's in the cards, but uh, it's just, just, a, just a sad story. Coming in, in this Super Bowl week in Kansas City, I mean, obviously they, they lost the game, but uh, you also have a former beat writer, Therese Paler, who was with the Kansas City Star for years. If anybody listened last week, we had Adam Teicher on, a close friend of his, uh, and worked together for a long time. And Therese most uh, recently with Yahoo Sports, one of the more successful podcasts out there in columns. You know, if you have never heard of him, go check out his stuff, theresepehler, yahoo.com just an amazing dude and he knows the game played the game and was always just uh you know just from hearing him I didn't know him personally but just from hearing him on these press conferences he just seemed like he knew what he was talking about asked really good thought-provoking questions and 37 years old and uh passed away on top of that you had the uh the accident if you will, Britt Reed, you know, we don't know all the all the details, but we do know there's a five year old girl fighting for her life. So Kansas City's had kind of a rough week all the way around. Uh, the game probably the least of their worries right now, but uh, not to take anything away from Tampa Bay. I mean, they they played a great game. Yeah, just just a rough week, and uh, hopefully we talk about the game a little bit and get things going in a more positive light.
1: Last week, we both picked the Kansas City Chiefs to win the game. It was not a high-scoring game, especially from a Chiefs perspective, because they only scored nine points. I mean, that's almost unheard of if we're talking about a Chiefs offense the last couple of years. Unheard of when Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid can only score three field goals in the entire game. What happened to the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl? Just basically wrap your your head around it. Can you get an idea of what went wrong for Kansas City on Sunday?
0: Well, watching the game over again, I mean, the first time, and you know, obviously, I mean, we, we've we talked about it or I talked about it, where you, there's always that avalanche, right, where they just hit you and it seems like nothing can stop them, and the avalanche never came. We definitely underestimated the offensive line issues. Uh, I think we underestimated, I, I think, the greatness and planning of Todd Bowles. Obviously, he learned a lot about their first meeting earlier in the year, and they never really adjusted. Again, watching the game, you may have thought, well, Mahomes just, I mean, wow, what a terrible game, no touchdowns. He hasn't had a game like this since going back to like high school where his team did not score at least a touchdown. Looking at the game a second time, I get the overriding thing is... Todd Bowles is what he had in place was was pretty simple. They was pretty much in two high safeties, and I'm not an X's and O guys. This is just in general, and I don't know how many snaps he was in this look, and and they did disguise things. But the bottom line was this: is they played their safeties way back, basically daring the Chiefs to throw it over the top. The linebackers running from sideline to sideline. They kind of took away the throws outside the numbers as well. Now what do you do? My expectation was in watching the game and what was going to happen was much what the Chiefs did in week six against the Buffalo Bills when Leslie Frazier put together a similar game plan. But, you know, obviously the players are much different. But the bottom line was the Chiefs ran the ball 46 times for 245 yards. And in that game, Dan Kilgore started at center over Austin Ryder. Uh, Rammers was playing out of position. Allegretti was, got his first start because Assembly uh, had gotten hurt the game before. You're not going to throw somebody out of this coverage. You need to run them out of this coverage. And they never really, I don't know if it was arrogance, if it was just, hey, this is what we do, and it's going to work eventually, but... From my perspective, Todd Bowles put together a great plan, and those players carried it out to a T. And I think knowing the psyche of, I think, Andy Reid and Eric Bienemy saying that we're going to be stubborn, we're, this is what we do, that we're just going to keep doing this until it works, he rolled the dice a little bit with that, and they played right into his hands. So Brady did what Brady does. His outside receivers really... Didn't do anything much of the game outside of Antonio Brown's touchdown catch. Gronk, Brait were the main receivers. The running backs, Fournette, Jones, they kind of carried the day in that offensive line. I think they only got to Brady once, so God bless them. They put together a terrific plan. The Chiefs never adjusted, and that's the most perplexing thing to me.
1: I agree with everything that you said. Todd Bowles, to me, is the real MVP of this game if you could give it to a coach. I realize Tom Brady wants another Super Bowl MVP, but the the coach deserves it here. He certainly learned from his mistake. Leading up to the Super Bowl game, I talked about how I thought Bruce Arians was going to be the stubborn one. He was going to dial up a lot of these deep shots because of who he is. When the game was still within reach, like in the second quarter, before the Bucs got off to that 21-6 lead, they could have run the ball. I think the Chiefs were getting like six yards a carry. Clyde Edwards-Elair, along with Williams, I think they could have have adjusted that game plan because they saw what the Bucs were doing. You could run the ball. You've got five offensive linemen on there, and they've got four guys. They're dropping everybody back, right? Run the ball. I mean, it's simple, kind of milk the clock. And another thing that just really surprised me was you and I talked about it, that the offensive line will probably have its struggles, but you never could imagine that the Bucs forced 29 pressures, the most during the Super Bowl history. I mean, I I realize that Barrett and and JPP are getting a lot of attention, but a lot of it was because of Vitave and Ndamukong Su. They also played a big part in it. That's what kind of killed me in this regard. Andy Reid has been here before. He's been in so many playoff games, and yet that offensive coaching staff was stubborn enough to just... We want to go for the big play. We want to go for the big play. Why not take a check down to the running back? And why not feature the, the running game more, especially you know, let them adjust in the second half? Milk the clock. Slow down the game. You know Patrick Mahomes isn't 100%, and that really surprised me. Usually you see these mistakes from the coaching staffs, guys that haven't been there before. Well, Andy Reid has been here plenty of times. And, I mean, with all due respect, him and Eric Bieniemy, they acted like rookie coaches in the Super Bowl.
0: They did. I mean, I that was the, the most shocking thing about, about the whole thing. And, again, taking nothing away from Tampa Bay. Who knows if the Chiefs could even win the game. Yeah, I mean, it was just arrogance. And, and like I said, I mean, the, fir- the, the very first thing I thought about was that game against the Bills. And I'm saying, well, this is kind of the same thing. Start running the ball more. I mean, I think Alaire ended up like nine carries for sixty-four yards. Uh, Mahomes had some scrambles that he that he gained decent yardage in the first half. Daryl Williams hardly touched the ball, and he's kind of like their hard-nosed guy running between the tackles. So if these guys are, are struggling to pass protect, let them get on. Just come off the ball and see what they could do, and they just never did it. I don't you know, really follow a lot of these next gen stats things, but you know, I guess they do have some validity. They had mentioned where Mahomes on his dropbacks and scrambles ran like nearly five hundred yards. Part of that was the offensive line. Part of that is, I guess, just his own nature. To bail, but when you're getting hit just about every play, you know, I could I could feel for him. I swear, and again, I know I'm a Chiefs fan, and you know, whatever, anybody could say whatever bias I might have, but if you watch that game closely again, he made some of the best throws he may have made ever. Some were, you know, some went off of players' helmets, some were drops to be parallel to the ground right, on a fourth and nine, and be able to just flick the ball about 30 yards downfield and hit the guy right in the face, and he, and he draws. Now, Darrell Williams is not the greatest receiver in the world, and yeah, it would have been a great catch. The play in the first half, Tyree kills kind of a scramble drill, and he, again, running to his left full speed towards the sideline, just stops for a second, flicks his wrist, and there it is, right on the money. And I think because they were in a scramble drill, Kelsey ended up kind of in the same place. So there's a, a bunch of guys around. Tyree Kill, if you're one of the best receivers in the league, that's a play you come down with. And he has in the past. A lot of things were just off. I'm not going to blame this on the, the unfortunate situation that happened earlier in the week. But I got to believe... That Reed's mind would, had to be preoccupied, one, with his son, two, with the people that were hurt in that accident. And the team, all those penalties in the first half, I mean, again, they've getting, they have got that under control. They've had games without a lot of penalties, like eight for 95 yards in the first half. They gave... Tampa, I don't know how many first downs via penalty. Gave up an extra four points, went on a field goal. They lined up offsides. Hello, D Ford, paging D Ford. Hello, did we learn anything? Unbelievable. So, but again, Brady took what the defense was giving him. That offensive line dominated for Tampa. They came out in looks where they had extra linemen, uh, extra. Extra tight ends, where they've got like eight blockers. I mean, the 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 run that Fournette had, he wasn't touched, twenty eight yards, and they quick snapped them. Uh, it looked like the the Chiefs weren't really ready for the play. They had an extra offensive lineman, extra tight end, and they were all on the right hand side of the offense. And Fournette just ran right behind them, and he was just, it was it was the easiest touchdown he'll probably ever score in his life. So between the penalties, no adjustments, and just Everything being out of sync, they had no shot. But God bless Tampa Bay, Brady. He deserves all the accolades. Forty-three years old. It's it's. They got Bradied, right?
1: Like you mentioned, the penalties really killed the Chiefs. They they had eleven penalties for one hundred and twenty yards overall in the entire game. In the first half, those penalties just the the refs didn't let them play. Some of them were. Ticky tacky, but you, you can't blame it on the refs and say they, you know, they didn't let him play and they called some ridiculous penalties on the Chiefs. But yeah, a couple of turning points were basically the offside penalty when the Bucs Bucks were made that field goal. It would have been ten to three, and then he gave them extra life, and then Brady find, found Gronk and and they took a fourteen to three lead. And then it was never more evident when the Bucks drove right before halftime. With 44 seconds left in the game, and they scored another touchdown. A couple of other penalties were called on that drive that helped,
0: helped. Well, the crazy, the killer was it looked like they were willing to go into halftime up 14 to six or whatever. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Reed called timeout on, I think, on second down, third and two, and he calls timeout almost daring them to do to keep going they get the first down and next thing you know they're down in business and so so again those those game management questions about Reed that have always been there reared their ugly head really was frustrating to watch because it looked like the team had kind of elevated themselves past a lot of these problems they really just looked out of sorts and like they I never
1: thought that I would see a game where Mahomes didn't have that magic in the big game. He threw for zero touchdowns, Lou. I mean, that's what surprised me the most. Even in the fourth quarter, when they were driving, they, they just couldn't punch it in into the end zone. They just didn't seem to have the, those answers. It is definitely his worst game as a quarterback in the NFL. And I never thought, I mentioned that at the top of the show, I never thought that I would see the Kansas City Chiefs. This offense score only nine points.
0: I was gonna say statistically, you know, maybe I don't know, but I, I sw- I'm telling you, Alex, I don't know. Watching the game again, I think he played one of his better games. He didn't get into the end zone, but through no fault of his own. I think you know he was holding yeah, the ball though. Something.
1: You you gotta say that he was holding the ball. I don't know. But what if the-
0: those are, but if those are, if those are the plays that are called or the routes that are called and the options aren't there. What was he supposed to do? I mean, you know who this kid is. That's what's going to happen. So if that's the play you call, this is kind of what's going to happen if the offensive line doesn't hold up. Unless they changed what they were doing, he did the best he could under the circumstances. And honestly, he made some great throws. Made a couple bad ones, obviously. Uh, They weren't on the same page a couple times with Hardman in the first half. Hardman was was the hot guy, and he never really turned back for the ball because I think if he does, he may walk in for a touchdown. And then in cover two, he did throw a bad pass where Hardman kind of got in between the corner and the safety, kind of the dead spot, and Mahomes threw it towards the sideline instead of in the hole. I honestly don't think... Yes, he didn't get in the end zone and from that perspective, but as far as just watching the game, his throws, and what he did, how hard he fought in that game, I don't know that you can say this was his worst game.
1: I am going to say it because on every play, even if you're trying to go and you've got that primary read, that a guy on a post route or a streak route or a corner corner route, you're trying to get for that big play. But if he is covered, If there's double coverage on him, you got to look for those other routes. You got to go through your progressions. And it seemed like Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion, I also felt like he was trying to carry out that game plan. He was trying to go for the big play. But you know, on every play, you've got. Two, three wide receivers. You have a tight end. Travis Kelsey had a great game. What He had like 10 catches over the middle. And then just force feed Travis Kelsey for these 10, 15-yard throws. He's going to get open. And he's going to find those openings in in zone coverage. I think that at times Mahomes tried to take that gamble and go with that primary read, that primary receiver, and he held on to the ball for a little too long. Look, when you're running for your life 50% of the time, you can't fault him for that. But I do think at times guys were open, and he was just hoping that Tyreek Hill was going to somehow shake off and get down there and just outrun those the cornerback and the safety. But... The Bucks were playing zone coverage for most of the game. They were taking away those big plays. So, in my opinion, even if your coach is calling the play, you know what your second read is, what your third read is. You got to go through them a little bit quicker. So... I'm going to take a little bit of a different stand here. I think that was one of the worst games that I've seen Mahomes play. And a lot of it had to do with the injury. He wasn't 100%. I realize that. He's never going to use that as an excuse, and the Chiefs will never use that as an excuse. But still, I saw a quarterback that usually knows where to go with the football. He doesn't have great footwork, but he gets out of it just being Patrick Mahomes, right? There's not another Patrick Mahomes right now in the NFL, but I do think that he struggled finding those secondary and third wide receivers on those plays and, and working through his progressions.
0: Yeah, well, there's no question about that. He could have done a much better job of getting rid of the ball sometimes. He does have the overaggressive nature. I guess that's the thing is where it's for so much of his career that has done him well. But there are games where he needs to, and he's he's acknowledged that. I mean, obviously, I mean, he's he's got to realize that those checkdowns are there, or you know, sometimes you know, live to fight another day. You're not gonna, you know, want to put the ball in harm's way. You know, he's gonna learn a lot from this. He's gonna have a you know a big chip on his shoulder now because again, it's gonna look like Brady's got his number. Uh, for the most part, he's got the lead on him, at, you know, head to head, and uh, obviously the seven Super Bowls and I hope it, it, it works out for him. But.
1: Well, we do know where the Chiefs are going to go in the draft, right? I mean, they have to address that offensive line.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, you got Fisher tore his Achilles late in the year, so, I mean, it would be really hard to expect him coming back anytime before late next season. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, again, depending on what's going on with COVID and so forth, one of their starting guards could come back. That third-round pick last year opted out. Lucas Niang. I don't know how you know how good he is. We'll see. We'll see if if he's an option. But, uh, yeah, absolutely, they're going to have to draft some people. They still have Martinez Rankin, who they had traded uh, with Houston for, that that they're pretty high on. Yeah, they've got some options, but they definitely have to, whether it's free agency or the draft, absolutely, you're going to have to bring in some, some more horses.
1: So the season has come to an end, and the NFL regular season awards were released, and Aaron Rodgers walked away with the MVP. Aaron Donald was the defensive player of the year. Justin Herbert went Offensive Rookie of the Year. Chase Young is the Defensive Rookie of the Year. Stefanski is the Coach of the Year. Alex Smith, the the Comeback Player of the Year. Who was the, the Offensive Player of the Year? Who got that? Derrick Henry, right? Derrick Henry Derrick got the Henry, Offensive yeah. Player of the Year. Do you agree with all these? I mean, all these awards and who walked away with it? Do you have an argument here? I do. For, like, Defensive Player of the Year, I do
0: I wish I did. I mean, that's that would be the one that would that you know at the time. I think when we did our mid-season awards, we thought you know at least I did, and I I know you agreed. T.J. Watt was the runaway winner at that time. I mean, his I mean, he was just a fierce, but you know, they lo- they lose Bud Dupree, so he uh the Steelers kind of fell off you know, undefeated. Now, now all of a sudden they're struggling to get in the playoffs you know, near the end of the year. You didn't hear so much about TJ Watt, and I think maybe that's kind of what pushed him out of the limelight and why people you can vote Aaron Donald the <laughs> defensive player of the year every year he plays. As long as he's healthy, He's just the best. That would be really the only one. Uh, Justin Jefferson, you know, great season, probably the best rookie season for a wide receiver. I don't know, maybe Randy Moss. But I all the rest of them, I mean, you really can't argue with them. Derrick Henry right, rushed for over 2,000 yards. Those would be the only two. Maybe T.J. Watt is Defensive Player of the Year and Justin Jefferson, but again, the quarterbacks always get the shot. Yeah, they
1: do. Like you mentioned, you can give Aaron Donald Defensive Player of the Year about right. every yeah. year. It's He is the best, maybe even not the best defensive player, but the best player in the NFL just because – He's always facing off against double teams and triple teams and the things that he's doing on the football field we haven't seen before. He's probably the greatest defensive lineman that we've ever seen. The only guy that maybe comes close or is on par with him when it's all said and done is Reggie White. I'm talking about like defensive lineman, right? But I would say T.J. Watt deserved it. I mean, he had 15 sacks this year. Uh, Teams game planned against him. Just because this guy has been putting up huge numbers the last three years. And I think he should have gotten the award. J.J. Watt's younger brother should have walked away with the Defensive Player of the Year award. But again, who am I to argue Um, you can give this award to Aaron Donald every year as far as I'm concerned. 2021 Hall of Fame inductees. Peyton Manning, obviously one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. Charles Woodson. Oakland Raider, Green Bay Packer, cornerback slash safety, Calvin Johnson gets in on his first uh, try, John Lynch, who I'm very familiar with nowadays because he's the general manager of the San Francisco 49ers, great safety, mostly I remember him for playing for the Tampa Bay Bucks, but he did finish out his career with the Denver Broncos, and Last but not least, um, Alan Fanica, the great guard for the Steelers, who they spent like a decade playing for them.
0: Especially the first ballot guys. I know, like you said, we had spoken with David Burkett. It might have even been our first, might have been our first show. Not so much that it was going to be controversial, but just the fact that he had a shorter career, never really won anything, but just a physical freak was, you know. All, Head and shoulders above anybody at his position during the time that he played. No argument from me here. Now, there might be some other wide receivers that have been waiting. Tory Holt, people like that. Reggie Wayne that think that eh, maybe what they did was a little bit more uh, long-lasting. But even those guys would admit to you, again, just the amazing, amazing talent that Calvin Johnson was. And he belonged there, absolutely. And then, I don't know if you mentioned the... Uh, the, the senior member, Drew Pearson, from the old uh, Dallas Cowboys with Roger Staubach. And he's at the receiving end of the, I guess, the first named Hail Mary against the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, but he did so much more than that for... Dallas Cowboys big catch after big catch played a huge role in those teams I mean at the time you know it was the doomsday defense but Staubach and Pearson had great success with you know one another and more recently maybe the younger crowd would remember him from some of his lines at the the draft and taking shots at the Philadelphia Eagles so uh, I kind of got his name back out there but I I feel good for the the senior guys that get in because they've been waiting a long time and they certainly deserve it and Drew pearson was one of those guys the original 88
1: i also want to talk about charles woodson because charles woodson to me is like a, a bottle of fine wine Lou, because when he was with the oakland raiders he got by with his speed with his athleticism we all remember what he did at michigan going both ways playing cornerback playing wide receiver winning the heisman he came in with a lot of flash a lot of uh, a lot of hype Probably we haven't seen that hype since maybe the Deion Sanders days when he was drafted by the Atlanta Falcons, right? A lot was expected of him. But when he moved to the Packers at thirty years old, he got better. He got smarter. He got more instinctive. When those physical tools started to decline a bit, some of these things, the the elder statesman took over. I would say probably maybe even like sixty or seventy percent of his interceptions came after the time when he was 30 years old. A nine-time pro bowler, he had a great career. Peyton Manning, I mean, what can we say about him? One of the the all-time great quarterbacks. But I wanted to ask you this. I think I've, I've had this conversation numerous times. Do you see Peyton Manning as a top five all-time quarterback?
0: I think you almost have to put him there. I, he played the game a little bit differently than, than some of the other guys. You know, I mean, it seemed like his was so much a cerebral game what he was just a mastermind at is being like a coach on the field you know the the call in the huddle I'm sure was you know one of those play yeah I'm sure coach thought it was a good play but he did everything at the line of scrimmage he knew how to get out of a bad play get into a good play whether it was a run or a pass so it was so surgical yeah there was big plays and there was some wild plays but usually it was just death by a thousand cuts so again if you look Like that cerebral part of the game, he was able to win that way. And it took him a while to get over the top, you know, won that Super Bowl with the Colts. And it was kind of a bad weather game. And, yeah, he had a decent game. Had the big play over the top to Reggie Wayne, but I think that was a blown coverage. But then when he went to Denver after he had the horrific injury with his neck and the nerve regeneration, the whole thing, that kind of elevated him. When they that offense, again, was amazing, unstoppable. The wide receivers, the tight end, the running back, I mean, they could score on anybody. You'd almost have to put him up there. I mean, Brady's got to be up there, right? Montana is got to be you know,
1: there. I mean, he's got to be in the He's top my right.
0: he's my favorite. So I I will always put Joe Montana at the very top, but that's just a bias that I have.
1: We got to put Tom Brady ahead of him. We got to put Montana ahead of him. And we got to put Elway ahead of him because he won those two Super Bowls in in the latter part of his career, but he was also there in those other uh, couple of you know Super Bowl games out there. I think
0: Elway was the first guy I remember just being physically better than any quarterback I had ever seen because he was an athlete, but he was a baseball player and had the, the rocket arm move with his leg. Could you imagine him playing in today's game? With those physical skills I mean he would be amazing we'd be talking about him even greater than he is now just because of the numbers but from him I think it was more the will to win and what he did in late game heroics with the Broncos and yeah early in his career they had a bunch of losses big game losses you know in the Super Bowl but then eventually he kind of you know, right in the ship and at the end of his career got with Shanahan and they did what they did. But yeah, he was like the first physical freak at the position to me.
1: He had the rocket arm. He had the athleticism. He had it all. And he was that generational type of talent that can't miss prospect coming out of Stanford. I would probably put Manning at number four, probably have Favre and Rogers a little bit lower, but I would have to fit Manning. Into that spot behind Brady Montana and John Elway. And I think I have more of an appreciation for guys that, that played in the 80s and the 90s because the game was different back then. Well, different. I
0: think you have, you have like these benchmarks or just times in history. And I think when one of the biggest ones, I think, is when Bill Walsh kind of introduced or evolved the West Coast offense. From uh, Don Coryell, from Paul Brown, and kind of mixed these things together, where you know these these passes to the backs and the tight ends became extensions of the run game. So now quarterbacks are completing you know sixty, now seventy percent of their passes. Where you know in the seventies and eighties, I mean, if they were hitting fifty-five percent, they were really good. They were at the top of the game. A lot of them were more. More deep shots. It was more of a you know a run first league. I think that's that was kind of like a spot where you can kind of delineate where things really change. And it and again the game keeps changing. It evolves. Ten years from now, it may be even different. Who knows? I mean things are cyclical. Maybe they'll start running the ball more. You know with these quarterbacks taking their liberties against these defenses and Todd Bowles and guys like that coming up with uh, you know better plans. Yeah, it's hard to compare eras and. And if championships, again, are the separator, and that's just the way it is, and that's the way we look at sports, who wins? So, yeah, there you go. Brady's at the top.
1: This offseason, Lou, is going to be just a wild ride. I think there's not going to be a dull moment uh, when we, you and I are going to be talking on this podcast once a week who is who's getting traded this week? Who's moving this week? Is there any quarterback in the NFL that's not available for trade right now? Because it sounds like everyone is. And that's why I joked like is Patrick Mahomes available for a trade now because he's having surgery and he lost a Super Bowl? Seems like everyone is in the rumor mill these days. NFL to me is slowly turning into the NBA. I love that the players are doing what they can to to get some of the power back because the NFL was a different animal we've seen this in the in the NBA people pulling and and controlling their destiny you know like getting these These all-star teams together, James Harden trying to get out of Houston, LeBron controlling whether he goes to Miami or, or Cleveland or the Lakers, he is calling the shots, and it's good to see that the NFL is kind of catching on to this because these players are making what? half a billion dollars? I mean, their contracts are insane. Okay,
0: there's one guy. But I mean,
1: it's still, (laughs) when when you see Russell Wilson going on Dan Patrick's show and he is voicing some of his concerns and he's basically saying that, hey, I also want to be involved in some of these personnel decisions. We've heard Deshaun Watson say that I want to be involved in the coaching search, the GM search, right? These quarterbacks, these high-profile players, they're trying to be these power brokers, these power players. And to be honest with you, I think that NFL teams are starting to sweat some of this power of the front offices and the owners that they used to have.
0: I don't know that it's gotten to that point yet I think some of these some of these players you know have some input but you know until they're willing to get into the film room and start study studying college players or pro players on film to see who might fit in with with the way they run things I don't think that they're actually going to be making those decisions I think uh, when you see you know guys, Wanting to play with Tom Brady, you know, other quarterbacks look at that and say, well, geez, you know, maybe I should have, you know, some say in what's going on here. So, in that regard, I think, yeah, you got a franchise quarterback, you're going to pay them that kind of money. I think they should have some input, not so much to pick the players specifically, especially draft picks. But you know, in free agency, maybe guys that they feel comfortable with or maybe they've played with at other places. So you might see that. where it it is similar is I think these younger GMs, and I think we've spoken about this before, the younger GMs in the NFL are a lot more aggressive, almost, Not quite to the degree where like fantasy football is when you're, you know, you're trading with other people and it's like, whatever, you know, you'll trade whoever who for whomever, you know, there's no salary cap, but... You do have some restraints, but I think just the aggression and being aggressive going after guys that you want and not being too concerned over future draft picks, if owners let you do that, then why not? Why not? Because you want to win championships. You may not be there. Five years down the line, 10 years down the line, it's much like coaches. They want to, hey, you know, I need guys that I can win with now, all right? My job's on the line here. And GMs, I think it's trickling up to them. And just the aggressive nature, I think, of the younger GMs, you're going to see some of this. So, you know, whether these guys are actually available, yeah, we'll listen, make us an offer and then we'll let you know. But I don't know that any of these guys are going with the intent that they want to trade Deshaun Watson, right? I mean, I don't think they want to trade. They may have to. I think Carson Wentz is one that I think maybe they're ready to move off of and that's kind of the, the chatter was around the Super Bowl was maybe the the Bears were ready to make an offer or had you know had conversations or maybe the Colts were involved as well again pending on the reports Philadelphia you know they saw the haul that Detroit got for for Stafford hey you know Carson Wentz much younger why not why can't we get more we'll see but there yeah I mean you got to believe a lot of these positions are in play we talked we have a list of about 12 teams and I, I don't think that's changed.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a wild offseason. It's going to be a wild ride and I don't think we've will ever see an offseason like this again because I think we'll see a, a few high-profile quarterbacks change teams and and get a lot in return because how can you not? You're getting rid of your your star player. I mean, you have to you see what the Stafford trade got you, right? That means Deshaun Watson's what? Five first-round picks. What are we like giving up the farm? I mean, we have to get like two defensive players out there. If the Bears want to make the trade, do they have to start with Khalil Mack in the conversation? I mean, wh- where does the conversation start? I would assume that's how it starts. Like if if you make that call, you gotta make and, and put some of your your best players on the table, and then you have to give up the farm like in the NBA for the next ten drafts. I'm not sure Carson Wentz seems preposterous to me that the Eagles, they want to get rid of a player that they don't feel is their, is their guy anymore. And we're not sure if he can be fixed, but obviously the bears and the Colts believe they can fix him because they've got the, the connection there with the coaches had some success with Carson Wentz there, Frank Reich, and then
0: John Filippo <laughs> was just uh, put on there on the Chicago Bears offensive staff. Obviously, he was you know, the quarterback's coach, or I don't know if he was the quarterback's coach or he was on staff with the Eagles when they went on their Super Bowl run. And maybe Nick Foles is part of the deal, so he gets back to Philadelphia. I mean, it's, it's just kind of crazy. But I guess the one interesting thing that strikes me is that a few of these quarterbacks who signed these mega deals now all of a sudden are the ones that people are trying to get rid of right i mean goff and wentz watson i mean they don't want to get rid of him but again big big contract and he's you know wanting to make a move. That's and I think the Houston situation is different than any situation out there. That I just think that's a dumpster fire of a front office and what that owner is letting happen in his organization. So that's let's let's just move that to the side and perhaps that what they're looking for is maybe not the number of first round picks but i think the 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 quality or in the top 10 type thing or in the top 5 it may not take you know three or four first round picks but maybe a team that's not so good like the jets or the dolphins picking up high this year but then in the future if they're going to get keep getting better, and especially if they trade them to Sean Watson, then those future first-round picks aren't going to be nearly as high. So maybe the Jets is really where they want to focus their attention, because that situation may not turn around for a while.
1: Lou, the only way I'm trading to Sean Watson is if I can get... Sam Darnold in return, I can get the number two overall pick. I can get that twenty third overall yeah, pick, exactly, and then exactly what I'm saying. And then I have yeah. to get 2022, 2023, and 2024 first round picks. That's the only way I'm trading Deshaun Watson because Bill O'Brien put me at a disadvantage here with the DeAndre Hopkins trade, and now you know I have to get as many pieces in return as I can. Stay tuned, folks, because again. This is going to be an interesting offseason that we've never seen before.
0: What about Dak Prescott? I don't
1: buy that. I I think the Cowboys are going to sign him or they're going to franchise him for another year. I don't buy the fact that they're going to dangle him in trades. I just think that's silly. I think the Cowboys know the situation better than most folks. And I think uh, they're confident that Dak Prescott is going to return healthy and in full swing. I've seen the type of player that he's been for the Cowboys the last couple of years. And I'm confident that he can operate at a high level. not saying top five quarterback, but if I have a top seven, top eight quarterback, I feel good about it. I can win with him. And I just think I keep Dak Prescott. I mean, if I have to franchise him this year, fine, while I'm working on that long-term deal. I, I think the Cowboys and Jerry Jones would be silly to get rid of Dak Prescott and uh, or try to trade him or whatever it is. Unless, unless you can get a second overall pick where you know you can draft a quarterback like Justin Fields or, or Zach Wilson, whoever you want, uh, that, that's the only way that I would do it. But you know that Dak Prescott is a sure thing. You've developed him. He seems to have a good connection with those wide receivers, and he's a guy that can throw for 5,000 yards next year in that offense because Zeke is already on on his last legs. I'm not sure they can get that, that passing attack clicking with the rookie quarterback right away who has to learn that system. I mean, the Cowboys are talking, what, playoffs. They're talking possibly chasing that Super Bowl because that's what Jerry Jones does every year. And they do have a team in place, well, at least the offense in place, And then they they have to fix that defense. I think you have to stick with Dak Prescott. I'm not buying it. Just like you're not buying the Aaron Rodgers talk, just like you're not buying the Russell Wilson talk, I'm not buying the, the Dak Prescott trade rumors.
0: All right gang, buckle up. it's gonna be a it's gonna be a ride. that's for sure and uh, we thank you very much for listening. We, I know uh, you've got a lot of choices out there and uh, only a limited amount of time. so for those of you that uh, listen regularly, we do appreciate you. Again thoughts and prayers up to the families of Marty Schottenheimer and Therese Paler, I guess on the way out, rest in peace boys.